Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, so it means, in theory, that it is Draft Deep Dives Day. And in practice today, it is also Draft Deep Dives Day. So I am here, of course, with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? Nick, I'm fantastic. The The sun is shining. Spring is coming. Uh, almost golf season. So n- not much, not much more you can ask for. You could have asked for a Timberwolves first round victory. Hey, I'm just happy with the playoffs and the fact that they probably should have won that game, that series in five. Um, but you know what? It, 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 it's a learning experience. And, you know, maybe the Grizzlies shouldn't be celebrating so early. It's like they didn't learn anything from that first series. <laughs> well, you know, I think for our two favorite basketball teams, keeping your standards low is pretty, pretty safe and pretty healthy, you know, generally speaking. It really keeps you from getting hurt all the time. So, Well then, on that incredibly happy and upbeat note, let's move on to today's topic. So we are going to be talking about some G League Ignite prospects today on the No Ceilings NBA website. We released an article from our colleague Maxwell today about the G League Ignite and Overtime Elite programs. And Today, we are going to follow up on some more G League Ignite content, starting, of course, with your most recent Friday Screener article over at No Ceilings NBA about Jaden Hardy's passing. And Jaden Hardy is a prospect that you and I have talked about both on this podcast in minimal detail, but in more detail on the No Ceilings podcast earlier in the season. And Hardy is the kind of prospect who I struggle the most to evaluate, someone with a genuine superstar skill as a shot creator, but someone who struggles in a lot of other areas of the game and struggles to be efficient with his shot creation. But his start of the season was a lot more up and down, let's say, just to be polite, than his end of the season. And so I really enjoyed reading through your article about how he improved over the course of the year and particularly what he showed with his passing ability because Certainly his shot creation is something that's impressive and difficult to overlook, even though his efficiency comes and goes. But really, if he's going to establish himself as a NBA starter, he's going to need to do more than just potentially create those semi-inefficient shots. And the easiest way that he's shown this season to do that is with his passing. So why don't you talk a little bit more about what you saw in his passing film that you wrote about for your Friday Screen article? Yeah, and when whenever Jaden Hardy comes up in any discussion, the the go to always seems to be, oh, he's just an inefficient volume scorer, and to to some extent he is. But the way he really grew his game and developed and improved throughout the entire regular season, going against you know professional grown adults um, on a daily basis, I thought was really impressive. And while while the shooting and the scoring is really going to be his main selling point and his main headline uh, going into the NBA, I, I think it's his passing that really takes his game to another level and makes him a much more versatile and useful offensive contributor. Because you know there the, the, there were a lot of flaws with his passing; it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. But the willingness to move the ball, the recognition of how to operate in a two man game, the the ability to kind of use his gravity to create for others, especially on the interior, once he beat that first level of the defense, was really impressive. And thinking about his role at the next level, I'm assuming he'll mostly be used as an off-ball guy because 
that's where he was most effective with his shooting. Um, so then from there, when he attacks closeouts or runs that secondary pick and roll or comes off a DHO, once he gets downhill using those screens or, you know, attacking defenders momentum, he's proven that he has the willingness and the awareness and the accuracy that he can create for others and not just chuck up a bad shot. And that's where I think he really kind of separated himself from this archetype of inefficient volume scores that you and I have both really kind of pushed against um, these last couple of years when, you know, when we go through our draft rankings. So I wanted to bring up a stat that you listed early on in the piece, which I thought was fascinating and a really interesting look into what Hardy has done with the ball in his hands this season. And that's his assist to turnover ratio, which at 1.09, so basically 1.1 to 1, doesn't exactly scream great passer, but you note that a lot of those turnovers were due to his inconsistent handle. And I think that's a really important thing to note, especially since I do, in fact, tend to focus on assist-to-turnover ratio as you know an indicator of how often does this player create plays for their teammates versus give the ball to the other team. But with Hardy in particular, given that he had the ball in his hands a lot and was asked to score so much, the 1.1 ratio, you know, that's not bad pass turnovers to good passing assists. And, you know, there are obviously many ways to make good passes that aren't directly to assists. But, you know, the idea that, his 1.1 to 1, essentially, assist-to-turnover ratio says a lot more about the inconsistency of his handle than it does about the inconsistency of his passing. Yeah, and, I, you know, so, so frequently just the assist-to-turnover ratio, it, it just, it doesn't, kind of like you said, it doesn't separate, you know, the, the self-inflicted turnovers from the passing turnovers. And, you know, when you're on ball and a guy strips you or you fumble it out of bounds, that type of turnover is very different than making an errant pass or completely missing your teammate on the roll or, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I, I get that. I, I understand why that stat is used as kind of a baseline for, you know, at least interpreting how good of a playmaker someone is to begin with, but I, it doesn't really provide a ton of context. And with Hardy, he you know, you, you were a little more polite, but I'll be a little more blunt with how he started the season. And, and he, he sucked. It wasn't good. But to his credit, he went straight from high school to the G League with no FIBA, yes. no FIBA play after a COVID season. And I, I don't believe that his high school competition was exactly top notch either. So the fact that he really battled through those, you know, that's where we saw the physical limitations really shine. And that was with his sloppy ball handling or, you know, I, I don't think his ball handling is as awful as some other people in the no ceilings crew, but it definitely mm -hmm. needs work. And you could tell throughout the season that he struggled with that increased physicality, the increased strength and speed and size of the defenders he was facing. And the fact that he doesn't have an elite first step that really hurt him and really generated a lot of those kind of on ball turnovers. But as the season progressed, there they, they were still, prevalent as you know I think it was about three turnovers a game but it improved and the fact that he just continued to improve step by step throughout the entire year I, I think is just so encouraging for him as a player and a testament to his work ethic and his willingness to you know be thrown in the deep end and do what he needs to do to not only survive but you know hopefully one day thrive you mentioned being thrown in the deep end, and that I think is something we've talked 
about quite a bit on this podcast where there's a huge difference between ambitious passing turnovers where, okay, maybe it didn't work that time, but those are passes that you want these guys to try Mm -hmm. versus, you know, stupid sloppy ball handling turnovers. And I think inconsistent is the right word to use for his handle. I'm not as down on it as, as you mentioned, some other members of our no ceiling screw, but you know, I think inconsistent is the right word because on some plays it looks like he knows exactly where he's going and he just makes the defender look foolish when they try and go after him. And other times he just dribbles the ball out a little bit too far away from his body, gets easily knocked away, and there you go, you know, team running the other way. But with the assist-to-turnover ratio thing, it's interesting because I think it's a very different sort of stat. And you mentioned context, which is key for this, but I think it's a very different stat for combo guard types like Hardy versus, say, someone who I know you've seen quite a bit of playing basketball, Tyus Jones, where it's, you know, he's a pure point guard type. And so, okay, it makes sense that he's not going to have all of these bad dribbling turnovers because he's not someone who's going to be asked to create his own shot all that often. It's just, you know, make the right play, make the right pass. And he's exceptionally good at that. I don't want to underrate Tyus Jones at all by this comparison, but there is a difference between, you know, you being sort of a caretaker point guard type who makes all the right moves versus being someone like Hardy, who is, probably going to be relied upon more to create his own shot really than he is to be creating for others. Even if, as you mentioned, he's likely to be probably more of an off ball guy, at least early on in his NBA career. And I I think it's important to note too, that not all assists are created the same where, you know, the, the, in the, the prime of the Harden Westbrook MVP era, those guys got dogged for, you know, quote unquote hunting assists. And there, there is some of that that happens, um, but when you're playing like a five-out system and you're driving and kicking and moving defenders and making these acrobatic passes to kick out shooters, the odds that you're going to get an assist on that are much lower than if you're just constantly running a two-man game and tossing up lobs to an elite rim runner. So you know, I, I, I always get hesitant when using just pure assist numbers or pure assist to turnover numbers when judging these prospects as playmakers because there's so much that goes into it i I think they're a good starting place i think it's like you know a good baseline of where to begin your analysis but when people tend to use that as the end-all be-all or the over the overweighting factor in their judgment that's where i think perceptions can go awry because a lot of the times there aren't these awesome shooters in college or in the G League and those assist numbers can really be skewed by that. So you mentioned sort of the five out deal versus playing in a two-man game and one of the things you mentioned in the article is that Hardy does do a really good job of running a two-man game and Certainly, even if he is primarily off the ball, at least to start his NBA career, those are probably the kinds of pick and roll opportunities that he's likely to get. And, you know, he's it's not like he was playing for a terrible college team where he just had teammates who weren't professional material. I mean, he was playing in a professional league, right, playing with Mm -hmm. the G League Ignite. But one would hope that his ability to successfully run two man games at the G League Ignite level, he might have a better chance with presumably slightly higher quality of teammate at the NBA level, you know, even if it's not the same golf as it would be from say playing at a mid-major college program without any big man above six, eight, you know, there is hopefully going to be a jump in quality in that front. And he has shown that he can run that kind of two main game pretty effectively. 
Yeah, and his primary partner when doing that was uh, Michael Foster or or Amir Johnson um, for most of that. And neither of those guys are real rim runners and, you know, legitimate lob threats. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of eventually pairs with that type of player um, because we didn't get to see him throw many lobs. So not really sure what the touch or accuracy is on those. But with the live dribble pocket passes or the wraparound interior passes, um, that kind of stuff was so impressive and consistent. And just the timing, the accuracy, knowing when and where that drop defender was positioning themselves and then the lack of hesitancy on so many of those is what really stood out to me. And you could tell that if you went back and watched the first three games of his season and then compared it to the final three games that level of chemistry and decisiveness and confidence in what he was doing is pretty obvious that that was something he worked on a lot this year and the fact that it grow it grew that much we we really don't get to see in-season growth by these young guys a ton um it, a lot of it usually comes in the off season but the fact that we got that in season i i think is just really fascinating and that having that level of confidence in what he's doing, knowing that he's growing in season and executing that pick and roll in a variety of levels and setting up his roller and in a variety of levels. Um, I, I think that's only going to add to his confidence and, you know, further playmaking ability in the long run. So you mentioned his excellent interior passing as well. And I do want to really focus on that because I think it, is a critical part of his game going forward because of something that you mentioned earlier. He doesn't have the best first step in the world. And so he's not going to be someone who, unlike someone else who we discussed, who makes a lot of ambitious pass turnovers in Alondis Williams, he's not someone who you're going to expect to be attacking the rim all that often or all Mm -hmm. that successfully. So given that it's going to be a struggle for him to get all the way to the basket for his own scoring, I think it's critically important for him to be able to hit those interior passes to at least be able to get his teammates good shots at the rim, which are in some way generated by Hardy's gravity with the ball in his hands. You know, even if he can't get all the way to the rim himself, his ability to make those passes down low, I think is going to be absolutely essential to his success at the NBA level. Yeah. How how his, you know, kind of rim pressure translates to the NBA, I think is for me at least, is the most fascinating part about his game. I, I think the outside shot will get there eventually, but that lack of burst, that lack of a first step, and being you know pretty much just a below-the-rim finisher, I, I'm just really intrigued to see how that translates, because odds are he's going to be really dependent on screens to get into the interior, um, and if that's the case his rim pressure and interior passing lessen a little bit because it doesn't create a massive mismatch, but it does create enough. And he, I I think he really improved his body and put on a lot of muscle this season as well, which makes him a little more consistent at keeping his defender on his back and his hip to really ensure that and prolong that two on one um, man advantage when attacking in the pick and roll. So it, I wish that he had that elite first step, but I think, you know, we mentioned the handle earlier and some some guys at the No Ceilings crew point out the handle as being why he can't really get in the lane. I think it's that lack of the first step and 
that dependence on getting a screen to get to the rim worries me a bit. But the fact that, again, I, I sound like a broken record on this, but the, the fact that he learned to kind of really use it and compensate it for it and um, use the pick and roll in a variety of ways to attack the rim and set up his teammates is encouraging because that, that self-awareness, that's, that growth, um, it, it just doesn't happen as much as we think it does. I think something that you mentioned earlier is going to be really key for his success at getting to the rim in the NBA, which is he didn't really play alongside a lob threat. And yeah. given his success in the two-man game, given his success in the pick and roll, I think that if he has a teammate that has real vertical gravity, that will open up more lanes for him to get to the rim himself. And, you know, I think it'll be a lot easier to see which category he falls into, whether it's just, okay, his first step just isn't good enough or okay, he works on his handle a little bit, but he has more space to attack the rim than he did when he didn't really have a vertical threat alongside him. That I think will be really interesting to see because he did show a lot in the two-man game, but it wasn't in terms of lobs. And, you know, if he can throw a good lob, which there are reasons to believe he could do that, Mm -hmm. right? There's not exactly all that much evidence just because we haven't seen all that much of it. But if he's able to do that and have a vertical threat alongside him, I think that will dramatically improve his ability to get to the rim. And then the question is just, can he take advantage of that? Or is he really just not quick enough to be able to hit those openings hard at the NBA level like he needs to? And yeah, I I fully agree with you. And I I do think that he'll be fine tossing lobs. I I like the touch on his shot and most of his passing. So I I think that threat of a floater, the threat of the lob, being able to kind of play that cat and mouse game in the mid-range, I think that'll develop more experience. Um, But the fact that I I really think the added muscle that he put on from the start of the year to the end of the year is really important because it does allow him to keep that defender on his hip or on his back and keep him out of the play. So even though he doesn't have that first step, as long as that outside shot is reliable and defenders are having to go over the screen he proved at the end of the year that he can really dribble tightly off that screen to lose his defender and then not allow them to recover back rim side and having that ability will open up so much for him in in the scoring game and the passing game um so i I, you know obviously in the nba there will be another learning curve that he'll have to overcome with that but I, I do think that in the long run, it's going to be a, a legitimate thing that he um, is, you know, really gets comfortable with. And something of a pattern sort of across Hardy's game that on the one hand makes it harder for me to buy into him, but on the other hand, you know, also makes me think this is the kind of player that I tend to be lower on than maybe I should. His inconsistency doesn't just show up in terms of his passing. It really just shows up across the board in terms of his game, you know, with his handle, with some of his shot making decisions. And the positive side is that he certainly seemed to improve his consistently, at least over the course of the season. But, you know, on the other hand, there's certainly some concern about the fact that this isn't just, he's got an inconsistent handle, right? This is across basically all areas of his game. And maybe it's something that he can learn and phase out of his game, but maybe that's just kind of who he is as a player. And if he's a boomer bust type player, as opposed to someone who you can rely on to at least have a baseline level of consistency in games that I think severely limits his upside because ultimately he's not going to get major minutes if he's 
remarkably inconsistent across the board, especially since he's not someone who, you know, might be inconsistent on the offensive end, but we expect to be an elite defender at the NBA level. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not as worried about the, well, I, I do worry about the inconsistencies, but I don't think I'm as worried about them as you maybe just because we saw where he started and where he ended as a player overall. And I, I do think if, if though, if those obvious signs of growth weren't there, then I would be full on panic button. Like I'm not using a first round pick on this guy, but then at the same time, I'm also not expecting him to be a positive contributor for the first year, maybe two of his career. And that's where landing spot is really going to come into play because Mm -hmm. we see so frequently NBA franchises aren't waiting on guys. If you don't show signs of meaningful and legitimate growth after your first year or first two years, you're probably done. Like, unfortunately that's the way it works. Like Jordan Poole is an awesome story. Jordan Poole is not the example. Jordan Poole is the exception. Yes. The, you know, his, his work ethic is absurd and he deserves a ton of credit for what he he's personally done. But the Warriors and that front office and that coaching staff are in a special spot where they have all the job security in the world. Not everyone in the NBA does or has that. So if an NBA team takes him and thinks he's going to be a star scoring guard within his first two years, I think they're going to be really disappointed. Um, And that's where having a long-term vision for a prospect really comes into play. And unfortunately, most NBA teams don't have that level of patience or willingness to invest that many resources into developing a guy. All right. So we've talked about Jaden Hardy. And now before we wrap up, I wanted to highlight the three other G League Ignite players from this year's class who seem likely to be drafted at some point. Two of them seem like pretty clear first rounders. One of them is pretty likely to go in the lottery. And then the third guy we're going to talk about is someone who I think I'm higher on than the vast majority of people. But certainly, I think most people would agree that Michael Foster Jr. is at least an odds-on favorite to get drafted somewhere in the 2022 NBA draft. So why don't we start with Dyson Daniels, who at the beginning of the season, Jaden Hardy was kind of the it prospect for this G League Ignite class, the guy who most people expected to be in the competition for a top five pick. Doesn't seem likely that he's going to go in the top five at this point. Doesn't seem likely that Dyson Daniels is going to go in the top five at this point, but I think that he is probably the most likely lottery prospect among this group. And it is fascinating to me because Daniels and Jaden Hardy are very, very different prospects. But there are also both guys who, to be their most successful, they will probably have the ball in their hands a decent amount. So what are your thoughts on Dyson Daniels? Where do you sort of see him in terms of projection at this point into the NBA draft? Kind of similar to Hardy, I was really underwhelmed by Daniels at the start of the year. I, I didn't really get the intrigue. Um, the The second half of his season, though, I thought was really, really impressive. Um, he's probably one of, if not the best perimeter defenders in this class. And if he is the actual 6'8 that people are kind of reporting him at, um, that's incredible size to have at your point guard position uh not not only from an offensive perspective with playmaking and scoring but defensively you know that that's someone that you can have switch 
almost across the board. Um, and having your point guard be able to do that is just a really special uh, convenience that very few teams can boast about. Offensively, I, I, I like him as a passer, not really as a playmaker. I, you know, I, I think he moves the ball well. I think he makes the right initial read. I don't think he moves the defense or really sets guys up in ways that we hope or, you know, that we really want a primary ball handler to do. So that worries me a little bit. I, I was really encouraged by the improved spot up shooting as the season went on, but the release is really slow and I don't really have any faith that he's going to be this dynamic um, off the bounce shooter. So from a scoring standpoint, I'm not sure what he provides besides like straight line drives and offensive rebounds, which both were really good. It's just that that lack of really dynamic ball handling and shot creation and at rim explosiveness that we didn't really see a whole lot of. So as as a scorer, I'm not sure what to expect. And I think that's why I'm just a touch lower on him than most. I, I think I have him at like 14 right now. Um, so I, I really like him. The the signs and the tools and that archetype of player is really fascinating and really intriguing and probably should go in the fir- in the lottery. Um, I'm just a little hesitant on what he is offensively. So for me, I bought into him as a defender pretty much right away yeah. early on. And for me, that was always going to be sort of the bellwether of his value in the sense that I was much more thinking of him as a defense first prospect who... I didn't buy the shot at all. I've come around a little bit on that, but not too much. But really for me, it was all about his ability as an incredible, as incredibly switchable point guard who you can throw on to pretty much anybody. If he is actually 6'8", as opposed to the 6'6", that he was reported to be at the start of the season, that I think is huge for his stock. And I think for me, given how much I buy into his defense, it's really just that the offense needs to be good enough. And I talked earlier about, you know, caretaker point guard types, and I think he's at least a decent caretaker point guard type in the sense that, you know, he makes the right passing reads. He isn't going to miss a wide open guy, but maybe he doesn't create all that much space for his teammates on the playmaking front, but he's someone who you can rely on as a decently reliable ball mover when the ball gets to him. If his shot is closer to what it was the second half of the season than the first half of the season, then I think there's at least a chance that he'll be an okay spot-up shooter. Again, as you mentioned, the release is really slow, and the chances of him doing anything as an off-the-dribble shooter, at least in his first couple years, are very, very small. But for me, I have him just outside the top 10 at the moment, and I think that that is mostly due to his defensive chops rather than his offense. I think that, you know, he has some skills on the offensive end and it's not like I think he's a negative really on that end. It's just Mm -hmm. that I am much more evaluating him as someone who can be a top flight defensive prospect who will be able to do enough on offense, but really it's the defensive buy-in that makes me believe in who he can be as a prospect. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, completely agree that's boring um but <laughs> I, I i'm right there with you I, it just doesn't really feel like he's gonna move the needle at all on offense mm-hmm. um but defensively that's where he could really be that game changer wait where are you at with his off-ball defense because i was kind of irritated with it it kind of felt like he mm-hmm. he floated a lot um i don't know if that was 
you know, we, we, we never really know what the coaching directives um, are with that kind of stuff, or if he's trying to overcompensate for covering for teammates or whatever. But I, I, I was a, a little perturbed by his off ball defense, not to the point where it was bad, but it wasn't, it didn't feel nearly as impactful as his on ball stuff. I'm a lot less worried about that, I think, just because I think a lot of it was more just your assignment is to rove rather than him not really paying attention. Like, I don't think, certainly, you know, with his on-ball defense, he never lacks for effort. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it was as much that his off-ball defense lacked for effort as that his role was like, okay, you know, stand a little bit further down and try and recover for your teammates' mistakes rather than, I don't know where I'm supposed to be and I'm just going to sort of hang out here at the nail and hope something good happens. Okay, yeah, and that that that's what I want to believe, um, because he he just because yeah, he just feels too smart and too good on ball to be you know, like that spacey off ball where he's just kind of loosening his guy. But I, if that's what the coaching directive obviously was, then you know that I think that's a lot more reassuring. But because yeah, and at six eight, if you're having your point guard be or if he can show any sort of weak side rim protection too, as a point guard, that's nasty. So the next G League Ignite prospect that we're going to talk about today is Marjan Beauchamp, who, unlike Daniels and, I mean, Hardy probably doesn't have much of a lottery shot at this point, but some team might fall in love with Hardy and take him 13-14, I don't know, but... With Beauchamp, it seems that he's almost certainly not going to be a lottery guy, but definitely seems like he's a pretty clear first-round prospect at this point. If not first, then certainly early second. And he's a really interesting prospect because I think he has some very clear positives to his game and also some very clear negatives to his game. And it's going to be interesting how that sort of shakes out at the next level as opposed to what we saw in the G League this season. Yeah, so I... I, I... I know Bochamp is pretty much a first round lock across the board, and I'm pretty sure I'm the lowest on him at no ceilings. I just I don't get it as a first round option. Um I, I love, love the transition scoring. He's a monster in transition, and I buy the spot up shooting and even like that one two dribble pull up, um, just like to attack closeouts or just you know, I, I think that's a, a, a legitimate option for him in the long run um i thought the defense was kind of a mess and i thought he was all over the place on that stuff especially off ball but even on ball he just made some weird gambles and wasn't like he didn't feel fundamentally sound so you know i i thought his on ball defense was better at the start of the year than the end so i i just i don't see the upside that would necessarily warrant uh a first round pick. Um, so I, 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 I don't know if I'm just being too picky with it, but I, I definitely came away more in, in on the shot than I was at the start of the year. So for me, I do think of Beauchamp as a pretty clear first round prospect. So, Hey, we disagree. I'm like for the, the first few prospects we're talking about here. Um, but I think that for Beauchamp, I buy into the on ball defense a lot more than you do. I think, I agree with you in terms of the off-ball defense. It was a bit of a mess. He struggled to be in the right position. He got lost more often than I'd like, but I really believe in the physical tools and the flashes that he showed on ball, I think were really impressive. And I think when you combine that transition scoring with his spot-up shooting being good enough and 
I'm not sure I buy into the off the dribble shooting all that much, but I mean, if he has to, I think that's an option that he has as opposed to just being forced off the line and not being able to do anything at all. Yeah. So I think the complimentary skill package on offense combined with, I think he's got real potential as an on ball defender. I buy it to him for sure as a first round guy, probably in the late twenties at this point, I think 25 or so. Okay. But definitely someone who I think is worthy of a first round pick, especially for, you know, a team in the late twenties where they're likely to be a playoff team that just needs a young guy to come in and fill a role for them. I think he can be a really solid 15 minute a game type of solid offensive option who, you know, when he has to play 15 minutes a game, he can just go absolutely wild as an on ball defender and the lapses off ball might matter a little bit less than they would if he was a starter type. And, and by all accounts, he's this crazy worker who, like his apparently his work ethic is through the roof. And those guys are always more intriguing to bet on than the guys who are like, eh, like I guess I'll go to the gym today. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does if the defense really turns around and we see more of what I saw at the start of the year um, than the end. Um, I, I was just a, a little underwhelmed by how he kind of finished the Euro. And finally, I think our biggest G League Ignite disagreement, Michael Foster Jr., who for most of this year, I have had as a top of the second round player. And the reason, yeah, I know, buying in a lot more than most people. I know, again, biggest disagreement we're going to have here. And really for me, it's something similar to why I've bought into a lot of international prospects in the past, namely that he is a productive player in a professional league as a teenager. And granted, there are certainly some reasons to be concerned about him. I'm not going to deny those, but I think that even though his shooting numbers were pretty bad this year, his touch from the free throw line is encouraging. And if he can develop a little bit more as a shooter, I think his ability to bang around on the inside, grab rebounds, given his age is impressive as it is, and presumably something that he will continue to work on at the next level. So I don't think he's going to go in the first round. I know I'm much higher on him than most people, even having him as a pretty high second rounder, but I really do buy into his shooting potential, which I think is a huge part of it. And I think ultimately just what he's shown being able to produce against professional players in the G league has been much more impressive than I expected. And Again, you know, I know I'm higher on him than most, and certainly the defense is iffy. I'll just, I'll just say that, but I don't know. I I still need to be talked out of having Foster as high as I do, and clearly, given your <laughs> shocked reaction to me saying I had him near the top of the second round, you are the person to do that. So why are you far more out on Michael Foster Jr. than I am? Yes, and I don't really have him close to even being draftable. Um, wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm, uh, this sucks. Cause I, I, I hate denigrating prospects and I, I don't mean this to come off personal or personally or anything like that. And I'm certainly not rooting against the guy. I just, just make I, a personal attack on me, not him. <laughs> that, that everybody wins. Yeah. I, I just, I don't see it with him. So, and the positives, the dude is built. He is mm-hmm. huge. Um, made him an awesome screen setter. I really liked his ability to kind of score on the roll. Like we talked about earlier with that two man game that Jaden Hardy ran. A lot of that was with Foster and, you know, Foster set him up really well and finished right around the rim pretty consistently. 
I don't buy the shot at all. Um, I think it needs to be completely overhauled. Uh, he shoots a moon ball. I think it's his. He cocks it behind his head and shoots it straight up. And I don't think he really has a whole lot of touch outside of like five to ten feet. Um, I, I think there were some kind of intriguing passing flashes that he showed with his willingness to move the ball or like make really impressive one-handed skip passes um, to like opposite corner shooters. If, if that's an actual skill, then, you know, that then I get a little more intrigued by it, but his decision-making felt really erratic and the, the defense, it just didn't look like he knew what he was doing. Um, so I, I, I think he's, so far away from being an NBA guy that I'm not sure I would spend a draft pick on him. Okay. Well, that's a pretty dramatic difference. I mean, I think a huge part of it is just that I do buy into the shot coming around at some point and you clearly don't. And I think given the rest of his game, that's a pretty dramatic difference in evaluation. I think we agree on his defense he does have the athletic tools he just doesn't seem to have the proper awareness or positioning and you know that's the kind of thing where at least if you have the requisite athleticism there's hope that you can figure it out as opposed to you know someone who's a plotting big man who even if he does know where to be can't get there in time you know there is there is conceivably hope but again my evaluation of foster is not at all rooted in the defense it's rooted in the idea that he can really be a problem on the glass. He is, as you mentioned, built and definitely can shove people around. Even professionals, as he showed in the G League, he can shove people around in the post and presumably will be able to in the NBA sooner rather than later. If the shot comes around, then I think he could look decently good as an early to mid second round prospect. If it doesn't, then you're definitely going to look at a lot closer to right than I am if he can't figure out the shot because that is going to be a huge part of him being able to translate. And, you know, again, we get into my partial free throw truther thing where I think his success at the line does indicate he has at least some touch outside of five to 10 feet. I don't think it's entirely fair to classify him as having no touch outside of five to 10 feet, but again, it really is going to rely a lot on the shot because he is going to be primarily an offensive player, especially early on in his NBA career. And that's, assuming that he can even figure out the defense eventually, which maybe he won't, you know, there's certainly reason to believe that he might not, but I don't know. I mean, I think his potential and what he's shown already on the offensive end and as a rebounder at the G league level makes me think that, you know, a team somewhere in the second round might do well to spend a pick on him, especially since the chances of second round picks making the NBA at all is pretty slim. And he does at least have some NBA level skill. The question is, are his weaknesses more than enough to overcome those strengths? And I think there's a chance that the strengths might shine through. And it certainly seems like you don't think he's an NBA guy at this point because of those weaknesses. Yeah. And I, I guess I, 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 God, I always feel bad talking crap about these guys. Cause I, I, I don't mean it personally for the 8,000th time, um, <laughs> but I, if the other shot... than when we're talking to each other, this is a very positive podcast. <laughs> we try to be at least. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that there's so much variance in a shot, and the absurd amount of arc that he puts on it every time just creates a, such a drastic range of outcomes. Um, and then it, it's just 
the decision making on both ends of the floor really concerns me. And I, you know, I, I would I would buy into being able to refine the shooting mechanics and overhaul that whole process um, more. But when it comes to the mental stuff and the ability to process the game and make the right decision on both ends of the floor consistently, I think that takes so much more work than we often think or hope it does. Um, so I, I'm certainly not saying he will he'll never be an NBA guy or that I'm right. I hope he proves me wrong and has a long and fruitful career. I just, I, I wouldn't spend draft capital on it. Wow. We found a prospect. We disagree about more than Jaime Hawkins. This is incredible. <laughs> well, I, I, if you're still going to put Hawkins in the lottery, then. Okay. Hold knows? on. I never put Hawkins <laughs> in the lottery. Excuse you. <laughs> I never know with you. Fair. Fair enough. I can't really argue with that one. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap things up here? Anything you want to plug specifically your Friday screener piece for this week? No, because I don't know who I'm writing about yet. Um, it, But something will be up on Friday. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking maybe something on Dale and Terry, but we'll see where we'll see where the, the, the film deep dives take me. So. Well, definitely be sure to check out Tyler's mystery Friday screener piece <laughs> coming out this Friday. And I will be writing about big man Orlando Robinson for my super deep dives article this week coming out on Thursday. There's definitely a lot of intrigue to his game and it could go a lot of different ways. So that's going to be fun to continue to dig into his film and see what that looks like. He's He's like one of the few guys I've only done like a surface level um, viewing and dive into. So I'm, I'm very, very excited for that. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his written work on No Ceilings NBA, hashtag basketball, as well as at Canis Hoopus. Be sure to check out Tyler's Friday screener piece on some prospect of some variety and some skill of said prospect. That will be out this Friday. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my work on No Ceilings NBA and hashtag basketball, as well as over at Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.